I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. Today we have our last kickstart for July of 2020. Dude, where the fuck is this year going? <laughs> I don't know, but I hope it just keeps going and goes away. Yeah, we need to like be like light speed to the first week of November <laughs> just so we can have some kind of sense of to, to be excited about the future as opposed to, fuck, you know, as long as that, never mind. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm doing that thing, cutting that out. <laughs> Yeah, man, come on. Anyway. It's, just, it's not going to get any better for a while. Uh, right. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, Red Heat. That was uh, the first in our series of director series with Walter Hill. Yeah. And uh, we have recorded the second episode. Um, little delay on the third episode. It's just we're ahead of the game, which is good. And uh, oh my gosh, dude, I was, I was able to yesterday just to sit back and listen to Red Heat the episode itself and it was yeah, like i was like so like i was so happy with how it turned out because it was it was difficult for me to edit and it was all my fault because i was like i was brain farting i couldn't remember shit about <laughs> about about i'm like man I just watch this movie 12 hours ago how am i forgetting everything and it was not I like, was like f- dude you can't take mescaline if you're gonna try to record with me, but, <laughs> I mean, unless you're sharing it and then it doesn't matter i know it's real and, frustrating well otherwise. you know oswald i gave some gave some to oswald but he just ran off and like wind in the corner. He's like, what'd yeah, you do course, to me? Man. <laughs> Fuck, look at the size of that chicken. Yeah. So we'll be giving him that CBD. Well, not the, the same CBD stuff that you recommended. It's been good for him chilling him out. Right. But um, it's not helping his joints at all. So there's another thing that we're going to try for a little bit. That's a little Yeah, more. there's some weird thing I was going to send you a link to. Have you seen it? It's like, it's made from like oysters off the coast of New Zealand. <laughs> I'll send it to you, man. Just all check right. it out. Okay. It's, but it's that's what it's for. It's for like joint pain for animal. You know, yeah. they give you the, the commercial gives you the whole like, is your dog slowing down? Do you know your dog is slowly dying? I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Try they, this. They take that from the outback. <laughs> they take that. Were they playing Sarah McLaughlin's Angel underneath it all year? <laughs> I wish. No, no. They 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 were going. They went with Annie Lennox Angel. Oh, jeez. Or the, yeah, the rhythmics. You know, <laughs> like oh god. Oh my gosh, dude! I wish the rest of the world really understood how amazing the Eurythmics were and are. Oh, I think people do. I think they're one of those bands that, like, you know, if they were to get back together and tour, like, even like you know, limited, dude, it would sell out so quick. They do. They're a band yeah. that people, dude. Aha, sells yeah. out when right. they go on tour. I mean, like in moments. They did the reunion a couple, like, seven or eight years ago, something like that. Yeah, it was longer than that. I think it was, I want to say it was 10 years ago. I think it was Re- like 2010. Remember that ridiculous show? I forget the cat's name. You'll remember it. Remember the heavy set dude that used to work for Rolling Stone and he started doing some TV stuff and he did a VH1 show that wasn't called Storytellers, but it was something like that. Not and- Matt Pinafore. 
No, that's a bald dude. Right? <laughs> okay. No, no, no. This is the, this is a guy that got involved in a lot of television production, like the Johnny Cash tribute after. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I forget the cat's name, but he had a show on VH1 where he had bands. Bands, reunite. bands would come on. Yeah. Not re, not no not a reunion thing. It was just a, you know like he had Hall and Oates on, and it was kind of like storytellers, but it wasn't. Oh yeah. And then like you could see like like with and then Johnny and Daryl would like do like. Um, she's gone and just like gets acoustic guitar and then just singing it acapella most of the way too. It's so amazing. Well, they did the same thing with, um, Eurythmics. I had always played, you know, here comes, you know, here comes the rain. I always like played that song acoustically and I always, and I, and I used to sing it to Joey when he was a baby, when like when he'd wake up and crying and like when he was just, I mean, not even a year old, that's the song I'd sing to him. And I'd always said, man, this is a song that I would love to hear Annie do live in acoustic setting, but she'd never done that. That tour, when it came back, they did it that way. And you can see oh, it all funny. over YouTube. It's fucking phenomenal. But I'm going to give you this because you're going to, and you can thank me later. When we get done, go to YouTube and Google Daryl Hall and Dave Stewart from Daryl, Daryl's house. In and Daryl's garage. Watch, right? and, and watch Daryl Hall sing. Here comes the rain again with the piano and, Dave, just on guitar, just acoustically. I wish, I, I wish every single one of those episodes was like, somebody would put them up in the best resolution possible because I feel like it's just people like happen to record it and then they throw it up there because that show would put on artists that I never heard of. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, that song is amazing. And listening to Daryl sing on their songs and then bat yep. and vice versa or covers. Oh my gosh, that show is so underrated. And those of you who haven't seen anything from, from Daryl's house, oh my gosh, just go on YouTube. It's yeah, anything, man. I mean, and you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate no matter who the guest is, you're not going to be like, well, I don't like that person. I don't like fallout boy. Well, go check out fallout boy <laughs> with Daryl Hall and you might be like, oh, yeah, they're not bad when they're singing a Hall Notes tune or their song is pretty awesome when Daryl Hall sings it. Right. <laughs> it's so good. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You see, and, you, and you'll see some guys you recognize um, that you're like, hey, isn't that the, isn't that the bass player from, from SNL's band from years ago? Yeah. When G.E. Smith used to have. And G.E. Smith you got his claim to he's he was the band leader for SNL as long as he was because. He was at the forefront and, and constantly touring with Hollow Notes all those years ago. Blink, blinking on the bass player's name right now. Fuck, help me out here. No, he was the bass player. No, 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 I'm blinking. Oh, GE was the guitar player. Uh, oh, the bass player who actually became the... Yeah, he always, wore, he always wears the, the pork pie hat. T-Bone Wolk. Yeah, thank you. T-Bone, that's right. Because, <laughs> sorry, anytime I heard about T-Bone Burnett, I always thought it was that T-Bone until later on I realized it wasn't because... <laughs> yeah, well, T-Bone actually... Ended up if you you see all those he got he passed away ten years ago man he died like in twenty ten what yeah he's dead he passed away in twenty he had a massive heart attack like on like season four of the show that's why he's not on like if you were to watch it in chronological order he passed away in twenty ten I think um, and they've you know they they've had a few different guitar music <sighs> musical arrangements you know sort of the head of the band since then. Um, but they took a long, they took a break. They took a long break after he passed away. I didn't know if the show was going to come back. Wow. I didn't realize it was that long ago. Yeah. It might even be longer. It might be two. No, no, you're no, February, 2010. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It kind of hit the trades and everything on the first of March. Oh my gosh, dude. How did I miss that? 
Well, you know why is because the show was, it, uh, you know, it was like an internet kind of thing only. It wasn't, uh, you know, it, it hadn't been picked up by cable yet. So it's a thing Like I discovered it because I'm, you know, I'm a fucking Hall Notes fan. And I, I went to, you know, I've seen him in concert like 20 times and uh, I picked it up. I picked up a, a shirt and a CD at a concert. Um, you know, it was a, it was just a, like, like, you know, the, the kind of stuff you can only buy at the concert, like live from Daryl's house right. and a CD. And I was like, what is this? And I was like, holy shit. And it gave the, you know, so I went to the wind and literally been hooked ever since. Um, but dude, you got to check out him and Dave Stewart. Dude, it's out of this. You're going to flip. I'm going to, I wanted to get on that. Yeah. So if you, if you know, I'm talking about, he used to, he and Angie Smith used to, was the band leaders, guitar player for, um, for SNL, yeah, SNL for, band, yeah. for a long stretch. It was like 86 to 92, somewhere around there. So was, I remember the first time I saw them pop on, I'm like going, oh my gosh, that's Hall & Oates dudes. And and I became more familiar with, with their work. People like did a lot of stuff. He, I mean, he recorded or, or co-wrote songs or toured. It wasn't just with Hall & Oates, but, you know, in between, he would like do work with Carly Simon and Rosanna Cash, Bette Midler, Cindy Lauper, Jewel, Sean Colvin. Yeah, it's like he he had a... a, a very much a a country sensibility about him and his playing very bluesy but more southern bluesy not like uh you know more polished corporate bluesy if you will yeah and he was a, an amazing player and all you have to do is watch any of those episodes of daryl's house that he's on and you're just like everybody all those musicians that are in that band are yeah. just ridiculous and you know when you see them have someone like joe walsh on there or i mean i want to tell you man one of my favorite episodes is when they have kenny loggins on there <laughs> I bet. Because I want to tell you, man, I don't know what people think of Kenny Loggins or not. I, I like Kenny Loggins. <laughs> and dude, Kenny Loggins can still sing. And, you know, he's like, you know, between the musical knowledge between those guys, and you can see it. Like, you know, they're, I mean, and dude, these are all cold. They don't rehearse this stuff before. They, they don't rehearse it for a week and then shoot it. It like happens there live right hence the title live at daryl's house <laughs> right you you will run into bands or artists that you recognize and that you like but like you said earlier you may not like fallout boy or some other artist that's on there just listen to it because you're going to discover i discovered so many bands like i said earlier yeah me and too. i've also discovered like oh my gosh maybe you aren't terrible after all <laughs> right it's you know like we talked about, man, sometimes the material makes people like James Belushi. That's what it was. We were talking about James Belushi and how I usually don't like him anything, but he shines in red heat. Yeah. And so that's, the, that's that kind of thing. Sometimes the bands are good. They're just, their material generally sucks. Yeah, <laughs> or they, but Fall Out Boy's got a niche, man. They have a sound and they stick to it. And more power to them because they're one of the few bands that actually sell records anymore. I was going to say, I, I don't, I, I wasn't really even familiar with Fall Out Boy. I mean, I knew who they were, but I didn't, I didn't have a thing for them one way or the other. I just was like, whatever, Fall Out Boy, you know, we'll see what they're all about. And I was like, oh yeah, they're pretty good, man. Yeah. And that was, that wasn't really anything too about Daryl's having artists that you may, he knows, oh, he goes, dude. my odd, my audience is in their seventies. That's what he's thinking the whole time, sixties yeah. and seventies. And like, I got to give them something new. And he knows that he's exposing these bands to a lot of. Uh, uh, well, you know, a lot of these people, a lot of these younger bands, reach out to him. Oh, I believe that. You no know? different. No I different mean, than you know when Stern was was big. You know, you had right. to when you make the rounds with the media for your movie, you got to do Stern. You have to put up with Stern's crap to uh, if you want to promote it because you're reaching tens of millions of people. You can't turn that down. It's the same thing with this. 
It's like it's a, it doesn't cost you anything but your time to go on a show and and sing with the legend. Why wouldn't you want to? Yeah, one of my favorite episodes uh, is with the with the late Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Mm. Sharon, dude, Sharon Jones. It's 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 one of those things. And dude, and another one that took me by absolute surprise. Not something I ever knew I needed was CeeLo Green. <laughs> dude, I love CeeLo. Hall and John, I do too. Yeah. But I didn't know how much more I could love him until I saw him singing with Daryl Hall and John Oates. <laughs> or just Daryl, I mean. You know, you and I will we'll collaborate on a playlist and we'll put a, a Daryl's House playlist together and we'll put that in the show notes also. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Anyway, so... <clears throat> This is how we get off the rails on stuff easily, yeah, but this no, is all good stuff. Sorry. Any of the stuff that we said is not bullshit. It's all worth looking into. It is. But today, you know, we're, well, it's the 27th, right? Is that right? It is. 27th yeah, of is July. Correct. But we're recording it on the 25th. And today, it's officially the 40th anniversary of ACDC's Back in Black album. We, you and I had a recent text exchange talking about, you know, acting youthful and, and you know, it's all a state of mind how old you are. But seeing that, <laughs> knowing I was in sixth grade when this album came out and seeing 40 there, it's just kind of, you get past the 25th and the 30th and you don't think anything of it. When you see that 40, it's just like, I remember when I was 40 <laughs> and that was 11 years ago. That's weird to kind of kind of digest. But this album was just a mind blower. It was an album that wasn't and a sound people were not into at that point. Punk was starting to was starting to be on it was the cutting edge and you were starting to see them cross over more like with the clash. And um and B52s was necessarily in punk, but it's definitely not new wave in the way people think about new wave in the 80s. For them to come along with a straight up rock album, a little on the heavy side for what was being played at the time and be like and just blew people's minds. People knew who ACDC were. Well, right. Plus, this was the first album with Brian Johnson. Right. There's a there's a, a documentary about Back in Black that the band just put out recently. It's on their YouTube channel. I'll put the playlist up. And each segment is amazing because it covers um, just like three, two and a half, three minutes of them talking about the, the that particular song that they recorded with. It's Hell's Bells or You Shook Me All Night Long. And Great little anecdotes between the band and uh, Mutt Lang and his instruction on how they were doing things. Pretty amazing. But listening to like Malcolm and Angus Young talking about how when they were rehearsing for the album, Bon Scott, the original singer, was still alive. They were talking about how they're trying to work some songs out and how Bon was their original drummer. He was, <laughs> I didn't know that either. He was their drummer and he did, there was one punch during their rehearsals and that he was playing drums on a lot of songs too, which just blew my mind. I had no idea that he was anything but a, an amazing singer for, a rock, I mean, an amazing rock singer anyway. Oh yeah. But man, but yeah, this was the first album with Brian Johnson after Bon Scott's uh, unfortunate passing. And so it happens when you kind of live that rock and roll lifestyle, man. It's just, it's not built for you sometimes. And if you have a, problem with the booze and sometimes you choke on your puke yeah it's just terrible but there's not one song on the back and black album that isn't just amazing it is acdc's joshua tree it is their wall it is the album it's their purple rain it's the album that defined and brought them to be a household name and that summer man that summer that album came out fuck dude that's all i listened to in 1980 was Back in Black. It's all I listen to. Let's listen to the radio. 
But this is like one one of the few times I put I I spent my own money on vinyl and I went down there and to what was that place called? Um, it was called I'm blinking on it right now. Liquor's Pizza. And we, no, no, this is mom. <laughs> we didn't have any big places in Simi Valley because you know it's Simi Valley. Yeah. You, know, you you grew up in Central California, but Simi Valley at that time in 1980, you might as well be in Central California because they. You know, we didn't have a lot either. Oh, dude, we had Lakers Pizza. I worked at Lakers Pizza. Well, see, there you go. See, you were better off. <laughs> I made this joke before. We had, we had Music Land, Lakers Pizza, and the Warehouse. Oh, my <laughs> And gosh. Midnight Records, which was where the, like, you know, all the, that's probably where you would go to buy ACDC Black and Blood. You could sample the album, smoke some weed, with do some coke with the guy who ran the record store. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. It was like that place. Fucking roach clips with feathers and shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, this because this record store that was right down the street from me, we we go down there and it was always looking at kiss albums or whatever, but yeah, he had a head shop up front. I used to like, and he had a little black curtain. You could see <laughs> you're like, right. what the hell's in there? You don't want to know kid. You should be <laughs> but this album is, it's, it's in rotation for me. And it became a, uh, you know, a, a gateway for Joey into his music because John Favreau had the brilliant idea of putting back in black in Iron Man. And that brought them back to the forefront too. And, and it was almost like 1980 all over again, where people are like either rediscovering them or discovering them for the first time. Cause it's, it's been a generation. Was obviously. that before school of rock? I just, cause I, I remember ACDC's, ACDC's had more comebacks than fucking <laughs> it's true. anything I can think of at the moment. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're a band like every five, every five or 10 years, like someone's like, fuck yeah, man, it's time to fucking roll out something from back in black yeah. right now. Yeah. School of Rock, School of Rock was 2003. And I think I'm going to say that, that Iron Man was 2008. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But it was such an, it became such a, um, a magnetic song towards Iron Man, no pun intended, that when Iron Man 2 came around, the whole Iron Man 2 soundtrack is just ACDC song. That's all it is. <laughs> wow, that's very Stephen King of them. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? But at least it works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's the only thing that works in that movie for me is the ACDC music. Oh, no, the, uh, man, there's lots no, of I'm talking there. about I'm talking about uh, Maximum Overdrive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this and put you on the spot. What is your favorite track on the record? If you got to pick one, you can't say all of them. You can't. You have to pick one or two. It's difficult because to me, it plays like Love Sexy. It yeah, plays. Absolutely. And, um, and I don't know. Jeez. Because I learned when I was in, when I was. There's no to, wrong or right answer. Right. I started to play guitar, man. I wanted to learn every song. And you realize that as you're listening to it or as you're playing it and learning the, the, the chords and everything for it, they're all so similar. And it was just a minor change here and there, a different fingering. One, instead of going up, you know, up the frets, we're going down. It was like, it's, it's, it's so similar, but at the same time, it's very different. It, the songs are very different. Yeah, I remember. It has a lot to do with Mutt's guidance too. And even though we talked earlier about, you know, for those about to rock, which comes after this, it being such a um, it's such a great follow up record too. I mean, you usually don't get follow up records like that. Usually, it's kind of eh. right. Like I felt like that was literally like they recorded so many songs during that back and black <laughs> session. They over. just had to do another record. Yeah, yeah. And if you've seen this doc, is isn't as detailed as like that that classic album documentary. This is just by parts of it. But if you've seen like the classic doc for um there's one for hysteria for Def Leppard and Def Leppard's Pyromania. 
And listening to them talk about how Mutt Lang is to work in the studio with as a producer, you can hear and watching in conjunction with ACDC's doc, you can see and hear the certain style that Mutt Lang has. He's not, and he's one of those few producers that actually will get in there. He'll grab a bass and play. He'll grab a guitar and play. Oh, yeah. To, to get where he needs to go. You might even hear him do some backing vocals. Right. And if you know how hands-on he is and how he affects the overall song, and sometimes he'll change a song from the way they originally rehearsed it and, and recorded their, temp, their, their demos for. All of a sudden, now it sounds like something completely different. If I were to pick any one song, and I know it just sounds so obvious, but the title track, man, every time I hear the title track, I don't care, dude. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. It's like, uh, yeah, I think I, I think on my, on my LP, I probably wore that part out of like dropping the needle right after Hell's Bells or Hell's Bells after, um, so you got to think about when you play it from the beginning, you're like, what comes after that? Right. Isn't it? Hell's Bells is first. It comes. Back yeah, no, no. But I was like, I was talking about when Back in Black is track five. Oh, it's track six. Six. Yeah. I remember we way in there. Yeah. Right, right after "Let Me Put My Love Into You," because <laughs> it's the first, it's the first song on the side. It's the first, isn't it? The first, but if you get the vinyl, it's the first song on the second side. Right, that's probably what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 the first song on side two yeah. of the album. When you hear, when you hear that that they're going to put an all ACDC soundtrack and no score for Maximum Overdrive, you're, and it's a Stephen King movie, like, hell yeah, I'm into that. How's that going to be? How's that not going to be good? <laughs> right. It, you're like, worst case scenario, I get to hear ACDC blaring in a movie theater. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and when I was 16, I guess, when the movie came out, it, you know, it was a whole hell of a lot better to me then because of the music. Yeah. Right. And then seeing it like, you know, last year, I was like, whoa, whoa, just turn the music up. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a rough go. It's a rough, it's a rough watch, man. I yeah. mean, even for somebody like me who likes bad movies, it's bad. It's definitely, a, it's definitely a rough movie to get through. But no, Back in Black, it's a classic album. And at this point, even if you're in your 20s or in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know this album. Whether you got introduced to it, you know, through Iron Man or through, through ACDC in general from School of Rock, you know, a few years before that. This album is should be part of everybody's collection. If you have, if you listen to rock, if you listen to any popular music, you, this should be in your collection. And I don't mean on Spotify. I mean buy it. It's <laughs> just buy the vinyl if you're going to be super, super trendy and buy it. If you don't already own it, buy the vinyl. You know, buy the CD. Just own it because you know, believe it or not, this thing, this album does sound better if you've got. Uh, anything other than a compressed mp3 to listen to please do it'll make a difference i promise yeah man i you know i don't want to go down the rabbit hole of you know how many needle drops in movies over the last 40 years have used not only stuff from back in black but just acdc in general mm -hmm. like like we said a few minutes ago They've had more comebacks than Brett Favre yeah well that's something else too and it wasn't just this you know, back in back in black in 1980 also brought you know brought them to the public eye that weren't aware really aware of them and then they were going back and listening to the back catalog oh yeah power age i remember dude i remember like all of it came pouring at me after back in black right and then dirty deeds of course all my friends yeah man everybody let there be rock all of it yeah like it, came after back in black for us because we were 
fucking 10 or 11 years ago. Right, right. We just weren't, weren't, I mean, we saw the records there. We saw them on the wall in those old mom and pa sub shops. Sure. But then now we were seeking them out and it was like, it took some adjustment because we, you know, Bon Scott's voice is quite a bit different than Brian Jones's, Johnson's voice. And it, it does make a difference. It does take you some time to kind of settle in, especially when you hear super wanker way of looking at things when you're 10, 11 years old. I'm like, that's not him. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is. Right. And yeah, and and you can't digest that. I'm not saying that any of the albums before Back in Black aren't great. They're really good. I don't I do I don't turn to them a lot. And it's not because of Bond's voice. It's just they're more accomplished songwriters at this point. And it, it you can hear it. You can hear the songs just to sound better. Yep. And Brian Johnson gave him a spark that that they didn't have with Bond. Bond was great. I I think Bond's a fantastic singer. You know, rock singer. And, I, and if you saw any of those BBC performances that, that they put up maybe four or five years ago on YouTube, they're fucking great. Yeah. But he, but Brian Johnson kind of injected this, this energy in the band by him being there. And I kind of felt it was a couple, a couple of things, you know, Bond was bringing the band down because he, you know, I'm not that saying that Malcolm didn't have a drinking problem too, but you know, it also didn't cost him his life. Well, I mean, it right. didn't in time, well, but not right. Well, not back then. Yeah, right. of course, you can't you can't drink like that forever. Right, and I think it just it was just a shot of adrenaline to the band, and it shows because plus the 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 marriage with Mutt Lang for this album, and gosh, how many albums did he do after that with him? Just only one or two, right? Well, I know he did for those about to rock. Right, I think he did. I think he did flick of the switch. Yeah, that might I be think. right. I would have to look. I don't. I think he was gone by Fly on the Wall. Yeah, by that, and then unfortunately, by that time, Brian Johnson and the touring just blew. Got blew. He blew up his voice because they toured so much. You can't sing like that all the time. And uh, to listen to how he sounded on tour in 1980 and 81 for this album, and how he sounded even just when they were doing them for those about to rock, it's like his voice is. It sounds like now. It sounds like a chipmunk, as my dad said. He sounds like a chipmunk. In this window of time between 1980 and 86, those guys ruled the world, man. And what's surprising was at that time, hair metal was coming about. You know, Motley Crue started hitting in 81 in L.A. and then blew on up in 83. And then everybody that came from that era, like Ozzy Osbourne way back before ACDC with Black Sabbath, he's coming up front. And they just, they were able to to stick around during a time when the music that was out there was a, quite different than what they were doing, no different than it was when they broke in 80 as far as the mass consumption of the band. Back in Black, own it. And also the the doc is on YouTube and we'll put the playlist in the description. But man, it's, and it's easy to digest too. Like I said, there's an, each segment is two and a half, three minutes long and then they just cover a song on the album. That's great. The only problem is that they don't, they don't do it in order. <laughs> Maybe if I grab the, maybe I'll go on there and I make my own playlist and I'll put them in order as the songs are on the album. Yeah, Flick of the Switch uh, was not Mutt Lang. That was AC, the band produced it themselves. Oh, well, there's... I think he just, I think he did maybe Dirty, he did, it says, I mean, like I'd have to look because I don't know, if, but I know he did those about to rock and Back in Black and then maybe the one before it. Yeah, that's, and I think, like you, I think you're on point earlier about for those about to rock. I think there's a good chance that those songs, because you can tell there's, there's like a handful of songs on, on for those about to rock that don't sound like the rest of the album. 
Sure. And and, and I kick, I think you're right. I think some of the stuff may have spilled over from from the Back in Black sessions, and they right. just yeah. Because they sound a lot like, I mean, you know, there's some tracks on Back in Black that I'm totally nuts about, which are kind of like, I love rock and roll like noise pollution. Yeah. And some of the tracks on For Those About to Rock have more of that vibe to them than the big arena rock of COD or For Those About to Rock. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, I just think they probably were in a zone on Back in Black and they had so many songs, they had to lop some off. (laughs) And they were just like, yeah, look, we'll use them on the next one. Right after For Those About to Rock, and I think that's, isn't that when Mutt kind of slid over and they started- Yeah, with Def Leppard. Def Leppard, yeah. No, nope, take that back. He did, he did Foreigner 4. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that it, was '82, so that yeah, I guess that would have been right after for those about to rock. Yeah, yeah, and that's another gig monster of a record, right? Um, and also, um, yeah, the, his first. You see, you, you automatically think that. I mean, for me anyway, because Pyromania was for Def Leppard. It was their Back in Black. It was their Purple Rain that just kind of blew them up. But he did, Mutt did work with them on High and Dry the album before Pyromania, yeah, which is my favorite Def right. Leppard record. But he went from those about to rock to Pyromania. And if you know anything about <laughs> anything about the recording of that album, like I mentioned in their doc, it's long drawn out. Not as much as Hysteria because of the accident for Rick Allen losing his arm and all that stuff. But man, Mutt Lang knew how to get the most out of a band because after Pyromania, he moved on to the cars and Heartbeat City and blew them up. An already well-known band and blew them up even more. That's pretty yeah, wild. Yeah, dude, sent him into the, well, you know, it's funny, I would say, that he's also partially responsible for the breakup of the cars because <laughs> they got so huge, they just all went, you know, I mean, I, I feel like that kind of led to the downfall of the band because how do you top that? And then why do we need to? And I, you know, uh, you know, Akasic went solo, right. Ben Orr did a solo record. Um, but man, yeah, again, uh, that dude had, he had the touch. I mean, he, Shania Twain. Yep. All you have to do is look at, and again, I'll put a link to his, to his his produced album discography, and you're gonna be like, what, what? Like, dude, I I had no idea. Like, he did the Boomtown Rats, um, oh. debut album. And if you listen to that, and fast forward three years, and you get into uh, Highway to Hell, he did Highway to Hell too. And I, it's just like, what? Right? How can it be the same dude? It's like a three year period of, uh, between the two albums, two year period maybe. Yeah, the dude was a the dude knows how to do a do his, his bit but it's funny though if you listen to the drums on hysteria uh-huh. and if you listen to the drums on oh, adrenalize not so much because he didn't like produce produce that album the drum sound that rick allen's getting again it's more electronic sounding because he's got an electronic kit to adapt to the fact he only has one arm to play now and he does a lot of his drumming with his feet the drums that shania twain has in her albums are the same drum sound oh yeah that that you hear from rick allen on those two albums you could replace her. You could replace her with Joe Elliott. He did the Muse album from 2015, which is fucking great too. Yeah, he did a Michael Bolton album in between Def Leppard and Shania Twain and Brian Adams. Yeah, like you said, he knew he knows how to get the most out of somebody. Obviously, because <laughs> right, he's blown some people up and then some. Anyway, yeah, we could we could do a whole like series on. Yep. On music and, and we could do we could we could take a, we could talk for 45 minutes about each one of those albums. Yep. Easily, easily. Anyway, there you go. Back in Black, 40th anniversary. Peep the show notes for the doc. It's good stuff. And go buy it. If you don't own it, go buy it. Yeah. 
And if you don't know that, I mean, why? <laughs> don't. <laughs> who don't. are you? Just who are you? Just who are you exactly? <laughs> All right. Well, hey, man, I don't have anything as groundbreaking as ACDC's Back in Black to talk about, but I do have some things to talk about. Tomorrow, the 28th of July, finds us getting the, finally the Blu-ray release of Howard Franklin's The Public Eye starring Joe Pesci. Uh, now, it seems like this is from our good friends at Kino. Uh, this may have had more of an impact had it been released last December. Uh, <laughs> during the midst of, you know, all things uh, Irishman. Right. But, uh, you know, you take what you can get. But, um, you know, this is a fun movie that was kind of overlooked at the time it came out. You know, it's Joe Pesci, you know, sort of cashing in on um, Lethal Weapon 2, Goodfellas, um, and the like, um, the Home Alone stuff, and finally like landing a leading man role. You know, he plays a 1940s uh, crime photographer who gets mixed up a bunch of intrigue and it's, it's very noirish. Uh, it's a fun movie. If not just for the fact that you get Pesci, <laughs> you get a whole lot of Pesci, man. I mean, he basically carries the movie, but he's great in it. You know, at the time it came out, it was just a little too early for that, you know, sort of throwback 1940s retro style, you know, that, you know, just five years later, uh, LA confidential, you know, should have won all the Oscars for but you know this is kind of a good you know if you're if you're if you're into if you if you're into that sort of noir uh vibe and you like LA Confidential and you want to see something you know that's in the same vein check out this film i mean mm-hmm. like i said it's a it, it got a it got a theatrical release but uh you know this was back in the day when kind of everything got a theatrical release you know if it had big stars in it because Home video was its own thing. Like, you know, you'd get things like best of the best three and four (laughs) straight to video, but like things like the public eye, there was no Netflix, Uh, but you know, it's got a great cast. It's Pesci, Barbara Hershey, uh, Richard Reilly. Is that how you say his name? Richard Uh, Reilly. Richard Reilly, Max Brooks. There's some guys in it. There's some faces you're going to recognize too. Jared Harris shows up. It's a cast that's more, and it's more interested in, in Stanley Tucci, a very young Stanley Tucci, awesome. uh, back when he was yoked, <laughs> you're not going to recognize <laughs> him if you're if you're like, hey, is that that's the guy from the Devil Wears Prada? Yeah, um, it's a good cast, fun little movie. Uh, Howard Franklin. If you're not familiar with Howard Franklin, he directed. He wrote the, in the he wrote the Name of the Rose, starring Sean Connery, which is another movie I love. He also directed the Bill, or he wrote and maybe directed the Man Who Knew Too Little. Um, I got to check, double check it. But I know he did write the fine film, Larger Than Life, <laughs> starring Bill Murray, Matthew McConaughey, which maybe I've talked about before. Uh, but he also directed the criminally underseen and sort of um, undervalued Quick Change mm-hmm. from 1990, uh, again, starring Bill Murray. And Gina Davis. Yeah, Jim Davis, Quaid. Randy Quaid, uh, Bob Elliott, who is the father of Chris Elliott. <laughs> yeah, that movie's dope. You may remember uh, Bob Elliott from uh, his little bits. He'd show up every now and again. Uh, Jason Robards is in it. I mean, it's it's a fun movie too. Yeah. But uh, The Public Eye being released tomorrow by Kino. Not a lot of extras, uh, but you know, you know, one thing you're going to get from Kino is you're going to get a good print. You're probably never going to. You're probably will never see the movie as good as it's going to be because I'm. The I think I streamed it, um, and it was, it was less than it was less than great. Uh, but I 
I'm sure this new scan is going to be great. Um, so, you know, that's something you can look forward to being released tomorrow if you haven't seen it. Also being released tomorrow is George Miller's <clears throat> Lorenzo's Oil. Yeah. <laughs> now, this might seem like an odd movie for me to be, hey, man, check out Lorenzo's Oil. But if you're a fan of Nolte or Sarandon, this movie might crush you. This is a movie that I never thought, I really hadn't thought about it forever. And then I was talking with uh, Eric Shalas a few months ago, just about Nolte in general. And he actually mentioned, he's like, I love Lorenzo's Oil. And I was like, oh man, I haven't seen it forever. And so I watched it, you know, cause it's on stars right now. You can see it for free if you don't want to pick up the DVD or the <laughs> Blu-ray, but it is on stars. It's, you know, it's George Miller who we all know and love as the writer and director of RoboCop and uh, that silly movie with the, um, with the devil and Cher. Oh, the devil and Cher. It should just be called the devil and Cher. I can't ever remember the name of the name. Which is of Eastwick. Which is of Eastwick. Yes. There you go. Uh, but uh, it, this is a, this is a really fun movie. I mean, when I say fun, I just mean it's a, it's a, it's something that you're, you're like, it's just not what I was expecting from George Miller when I saw it at, is a young person. Uh, but now it's, you know, now you watch it and if you want to cry, if you want, if you, if that's the kind of movie you're looking for, check it out. If not, then maybe it's not for you, but, uh, it's, it's still, you're going to see some fantastic acting and storytelling. Again, it's, it's got like Peter Ustinoff's in it. I think maybe his last role, Kathleen Wilhoit, who, you know, we talk about cause she pops up in a lot of the, these sort of genre movies that we loved. You know, she, she was an angel heart. Um, she's in Murphy's law with Charles Bronson, Roadhouse, things like that. She's a face. You you know, you know who she is. James Rebhorn. Mm. Uh, but it's a great cast. And it's a it's a movie that um, if you like those kind of movies and, and if you can, you know, you, you got a box of tissues and, you know, you <laughs> want to cry a lot, then check it out. When you're talking about George Miller, I think you said Robocop and not Road Warrior. Oh, did I? Well, did I say Robocop? Yeah, I think so. Damn it. Well, well, <laughs> That's all right. Fix it in editing. <laughs> <laughs> You can fix that in editing, or I could say it again right now. Road Warrior. <laughs> Road Warrior. Come on, man. I got better things to do than edit that out. That's fine. I make mistakes. Yeah, you can leave it. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, well, speaking of speaking of Kino, I'm going to throw this out there real quick. It's still going on. The lazy, hazy, crazy summer sale they're having runs until August 3rd. So when you're hearing this today, you've still got about a week left to get in on that. And there is some, come on, dude, there's some titles in there on Blu-ray that are like $8. Yeah, there's a, some crazy stuff, man. Just, there is pages. There's like 15 pages and each page has like 20 titles on it. Just take the time, look at it, get some friends together so you can cut down on the, on the shipping. I know because it's silly to spend $25 on, on three movies and then pay $10 to ship it. Again, we are talking before last week about making sure that if you were digging these movies and you want to buy them, be patient and order it and wait for it to be sent to you. And then by direct, these, these people, they, they need you to continue to, to support them this way and not through Amazon. You think you're supporting through Amazon, you're not. You're not the same way anyway. No, anyway. not at all. I mean, you're getting the product, but, you know, the only Amazon, you know, takes their cut and just go go direct, buy direct. Yeah. Uh, well, here, I'm going to throw this out to you. Uh, and it's not available tomorrow, but it is available to pre-order. It is the British distributors, 88 Films. Uh, they're going to add, 88 Films has a really fun catalog too, by the way. And they do they do some funny stuff. They do some stuff that you would be like, wow, 
And then you're like, wow, they're doing that. Uh, this particular wow moment for me is Piranha 2. <laughs> the spawning limited edition Blu-ray stars Lance Hendrickson, Ted Riker, Trish O'Neill. It'll be available August 24th, but you know, I don't know where I'll be the, when we record August 23rd. I don't want to forget about it because it's something that I, God, I love Piranha 2. It's so ridiculous. It's a new, it's a new 2K master struck from the original camera negative. Got a Glosso type uh, card slipcase, double-sided A3 fold-out poster. Uh, it's got optional subtitles for the main feature. It's got the original trailer and reversible sleeve featuring original Flying Killers poster. If you're familiar with the film, then you know what I'm talking about. And do the packaging is so great. <laughs> right. Isn't it the best? Yeah. You're buying direct from them. It's fourteen ninety nine. Yeah, exactly. And there's 3,000 units. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. limited release. It's something you might want to jump on. And that's the other reason I'm mentioning it so early is because uh, it is a limited release. And yeah, sure. Are there 3,000 people out there who want to fucking see Piranha 2? Goddamn right there are. Right. <laughs> there better be. Uh, you know, I know I am. I know you are. Yeah. So, see, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm so when you mentioned it earlier, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And it's crazy. Like you wouldn't have thought they would have done a limited on this one. You figured they would have just pumped it out but if you see the package you can see why they took the time to say you know what let's let's put a, a nice round number on this and say that's all we're making and yeah this is just like like i'm telling you man when you when you see these three thousand unit releases like with with twilight and with 88 and who else does who else is really big on doing that vinegar syndrome likes to do that too scorpion scorpion these will sell out you don't think prana to the spawning is going to sell out it will it will sell out. Yeah, of, of course it will. And when you're late to the game, that fifteen ninety nine is gonna, that fourteen ninety nine right. is probably gonna be eighty or ninety bucks on eBay. Yeah, exactly. You and you'll still pay three times, four times that much for an open one. So right, one that's been viewed once. Yeah, I'm telling you, you're gonna want this. If you if you are a genre fan, there's no reason not to get this. If you're a James Cameron fan, you should own this. Granted, he was. It's it's fun because you know, did he get fired? Did he quit? Blah blah blah. blah. It doesn't matter. This is his first movie. That's it. That's all you need to know about. It. This is the first time he directed a movie. I mean, he did plenty of second unit stuff for Corman. Yeah, but this is this was his shot. This was his first shot at being the man. Right. <laughs> and he bailed or got fired yeah, or whatever. Who knows, man? You know, it, it, it's what, it, what side of history are you on, Corey? Right. <laughs> I guess that's what it boils down to, right? <laughs> the side of history is this. We have Prana 2. It's it's in existence. We can watch this movie. Yeah, that's how totally, I feel man. About it. That's how I feel about it, too. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, some of the other fun titles that, you know, if you just go check out 88 Films. I'm just going to throw out a couple things. They have, they have a couple box sets. They have this one called The Devil's Honey, which is the Italian collection. Yeah. Um, there's some fun stuff. Uh, Mystery Men. I know Mystery Men is a movie. Movie that's got a kind of a cult following. I know people who adore it. Um, Hollow Man is another one. There's a you know they've 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 done a nice thing here to Hollow Man. But you know go check out their titles. They did Anaconda with John Voight, Jennifer Lopez, and Ice Cube. Um, you know they they pick up movies again. You know maybe movies that nobody else would think about. Like hey man, yeah I need a Blu-ray of Anaconda. Well fuck, yeah I do. There you go. Right. That's where you get it. Right. And they have a whole bunch of Jackie Chan releases and isn't just. They're not just handing the distribution for certain regions that don't necessarily have it. They did a 2K remaster of the original nag on that too, of uh, an extended version. Mm -hmm. and I mean, they again, the same release. Again, we're talking about you know, Armor of God 2 is Operation Condor. I'm talking about specifically. They did a 2K remaster of an extended 117-minute version 
and they did 2K restoration of the original theatrical 107-minute version. I mean, granted, they're, it's still a remaster of the same material, just one's longer than the other. Obviously, they just cut down. But the fact is, is that there's two different versions on this, and they're both were given the same treatment as far as cleaning up the image and everything like that. That's just not... You just don't hear about that stuff. Now, keep in mind, you're, you're going to probably want an all-region player for a lot of 88 stuff. Um, sometimes you'll find it might just be region B only, like in, case, in the case of this title. But when you go to their site, you have to be aware that you will see a mixed bag of U.S. releases and worldwide releases too. So, right. But if you have a player, it doesn't matter. And as you said, I'm a fan. Before you go buy ACDC, Save up and go buy yourself a an all-region Blu-ray player because you're going to want it. I, there's lots of things that we mentioned. <laughs> that you, there's only one way to get it. And and only one way to see it. It might be a PAL version of something and it might be a, a region-locked item. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, before you order, do your research. Do your research. Yeah. And if you've, got, if you've already got a player, cool. But also still do the research because there's plenty of times, like I think you were talking about it maybe five, six months ago, I think, right? Where you had a movie that was a domestic release and it wasn't playing your all region player. Yeah, absolutely. Hit the forums, especially if you're looking at a, an unusual release, like an 88 film or, or a twilight, just check on the forums and make sure it's working. Cause you'll find out like, Oh, I have this LG all region player and it doesn't work like the Sony one does. It, it happens sometimes. And cause well, it's not a science DVD burning. <laughs> it's, it's not an exact science. <laughs> Oh, so also tomorrow, the 28th of July, finally, but the Linda Carter complete series of her Wonder Woman from CBS is finally out on Blu-ray, the entire set. Obviously, it was supposed to be tied to the release of Wonder Woman 1984, the sequel to the Gal Gadot feature that came out a couple of years ago, which, of course, is not out, and it got bumped to God knows when, along with everything else that Warner Brothers is putting out. But this Wonder Woman box set is super dope. It's got all 59 episodes and the pilot movie. And there's not a lot of extras to it. But one of the extras I thought was really fascinating to me was there is two commentaries that Lena Carter is on. On the pilot movie, it's her and the executive producer, Douglas Kramer. And then she does a season three episode commentary just by herself. I thought that was kind of cool that, that she would do that. Or that anybody would take the time to put this in there. Now, there, I think there was a previous DVD release, so it may just be pulled from that. But the reviews I've seen for this is they said the image looks fantastic. And I'm surprised they went this route because, the, you know, they just launched HBO Max. Right. This could have easily been put on there. Anyway, it's like 50 bucks. It's not, it's not like a lot, but... Is that Warner Archive? Or is it just Warner, or is it just Warner Brothers General? It's branded DC and Warner Brothers both. Okay. Business, yeah. Right, so they're, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, the, the episode's been fully restored. So this isn't just just a, a high-def version of what came out a few years ago on, on standard F DVD. This has been completely redone. As I'm super excited about it. And I'm, as I'm reading it, and Linda Carter has returned for commentary. So this is new. So these commentaries are not, are unique to this Blu-ray set. So there you go. Nice. That's pretty awesome. For those of us that grew up on this, yeah, she is a Wonder Woman. Again, for little boys like we were <laughs> she yeah, was man. like dude Linda Carter it's one of those few shows that you could sit down with your dad would actually sit down with you because for not the same reasons or maybe the same reasons I don't know it depends on how old you were at the time yes exactly 
but no, this is good stuff. All you to do is just grow up on it and you, and you just think I have to have that, but do 49 hours for 50 bucks. I mean, just a little over a dollar an episode. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, man. Totally. I mean, God, what a fun show that was. Wow. Yeah. Wagner just passed away. Yeah. But man, uh, I remember, dude, I remember Linda Carter and Lyle Wagner. They were like, I was like, damn, how could people be so pretty on TV? Right. <laughs> Both of them. Right. I wasn't a big comic book dude. Obviously we've talked about it before. So when they were talking about the say the sequel to the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman movie and that they're going to fast forward it to the eighties, I chuckled at the line going, if I didn't ever watch the Linda Carter series, I would have never known about Wonder Woman and the different times in her life being right. in the, in the 40 term world war two and fast forward and not to 84, but to the seventies, that was pretty wild. And I'm like, I'm, and I'm like going, if I, again, that's how I got educated, man. <laughs> I got educated with this and Red Brown playing Captain America and Lufrino playing the Hulk, man. <laughs> and John Wesley's ship as the Flash. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> By the way, you, you know that he's on the... Yeah, he's he, on the new Flash. He played, mm -hmm. oh, he played he the plays dad. The, yeah, yeah. In, in multiple timelines. Yeah, yeah. That show gets so crazy. If you don't watch that show from the beginning, it's... Yeah, you, man, it's funny. I, I, I literally... I'm, I'm still like in season, almost, I guess season three or four. Yeah. Um, because I keep, I got to go back to it because I keep having to back up a couple episodes because I'm like, which fucking time, which, which yeah. time loop is this? Right. Which flash is this? You know? Because yeah, when you get to the crisis specials where they did the crossover events between yeah. Supergirl and stuff, and like I was telling you the last time I watched them, you kind of have to know what order to watch them and then, and then you're jumping around to kind of get to it. But yeah. Even if you, they tell you, watch the, the Crisis series and it's like watch it on in order between the four or five shows, I think the four shows. There's still stuff going on there. You're like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. If you're not a regular with any of those shows, yeah, especially I mean, The Flash. Yeah, The Flash with the multiple dimensions and, and timelines is just super confusing if you don't watch it from the beginning and don't watch anything else in between that has those characters. Otherwise it'll fuck you all up. Like you're saying. Right. Cause like, you're like, what, what, what happened to his hair? <laughs> <laughs> what, what's going on with Cisco? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, oh, we're in that, uh, we're in another time. Oh, gotcha. We're in another time. Yeah. It happens to me quite a bit. Cause I don't, like I said, it's a show I like to put on cause it's fun to watch a few episodes, you know, but then the time in between, I'm just like, oh man, and I got to go back and I'm like, have I, oh, I've seen this episode. Yeah. Okay. Now, and, and then I jump ahead. Yeah. So. That's cool. I didn't know that the, the uh, I'm sure, well, I guess because Wonder Woman was supposed to be released right now, this weekend, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah originally. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That's cool though. I'm very excited. I haven't seen, I haven't seen that Linda Carter Wonder Woman in, fuck, I want to say 30 years. Right. I don't think this is going to be something that I'll get right away. I might wait until it yeah, just sits on yeah, a shelf totally. until like, you know, Black Friday. Maybe I'll get it for half off or. I, yeah, I feel like it's the kind of thing that, you know, they're, you know, it's from a major studio and, you know, they'll put out, there's, it's not a limited run on that. So. No, no. And the crazy thing is though, the, the DVD set that came out, it had a 2007 and then a re-release in 2017. And obviously the 2017 has it tied to, <laughs> tied to that Gal Gadot release, I'm guessing, time-wise, it makes sense. It's only a $6 difference between the blue, this brand new Blu-ray and the DVD, which is pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Oh, I was right. That stupid article was bullshit. Those two commentaries are on the DVD from 2017, so they were carryovers. All the features here are carryovers. Oh, okay. Gotcha. That's all right. That's okay, man. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like an A. Well, well, look, man, I'm going to jump back to Kino real quick because, you know, I don't like to stick to one thing. I like to jump <laughs> back and forth. Could have just done all this Kino at one shot. Something very exciting. And again, it doesn't come out till October, but I wanted to throw it out there now, is the long-awaited Kino did, because Kino did uh, the Clint Eastwood, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, the uh, Man With No Name trilogy, and they did beautiful re- restorations and, and versions of those, uh, I want to say last year, maybe two years ago. God, maybe it's four years, I guess it was 2016. But this October, you will be able to get High Plains Drifter, mm. oh, man, and the, and the extras on this. I'm just going to read them real quickly because I want to get through these things. I don't want to make a meal out of all these, but new audio commentary by Alex Cox, an interview with actress Mariana Hill, interview with actor Mitchell Ryan, who, if you are familiar with the film Lethal Weapon, plays General Peter McAllister. Mm-hmm. There's a man named Eastwood, the uh, Vintage High Plains Drifter promo. Uh, you get the trailers from hell with Josh Olson. You get the trailers from hell with Edgar Wright. Uh, there's a poster and image gallery. You get two theatrical trailers, uh, both HD transferred. TV spot, radio spot, limited edition slipcase, reversible art, and optional subtitles for the main feature. I love the fact that they're so big on putting the trailers from hell on these releases. Yeah, man. I mean, it's all shot and produced properly. Like it would, would be released in, on a broadcast or on a Blu-ray. So it's nice to see them in a non-web format like that. And it's such a welcome thing. I'm so glad that Joe Dante's really cool about, you know, licensing that stuff to, to Kino. Cause it's, I think I'm always looking forward to, to the point now where if I see that they don't have them on there, I'm like, Hey, why not? <laughs> Maybe you should make one then make one for it just for the release. That'd be cool. Yeah, exactly. Right. Two more. I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze these out. Paramount home media distribution. You know, not only are they doing those wonderful uh, anniversary editions of Pretty in Pink and Airplane and Days of Thunder, but they are also putting out some uh, lesser known, but not to me and you (laughs) and probably other people here. They are putting out 1983's Uncommon Valor, directed by Ted Kotcheff. It was his follow-up to First Blood. Came out in 1983, Gene Hackman, Patrick Swayze, Fred Ward, Randall Tex Cobb, and Harold Sylvester. And it will be released on September 15th. It doesn't have any extras, really, other than the fact that they've they've cleaned up the master the video and the audio. Again, it's a fun. Let's go back and get the guys. This is the, I mean, this might have been the movie that started all of those back to Vietnam for the rescue. It came out in 83, which is a few years, maybe two, two years before Missing in Action, the second Rambo, America's fascination with going back and rescuing POWs. But, you know, it's a fun movie. It's real early Patrick Swayze, maybe his second or third role. Again, Reb Brown, who we just talked about, is also in it. Fred Ward, Randall Tex Cobb, who's in a few movies we've talked about. Golden Child, Raising Arizona. You know, he's a familiar face, especially during the 80s. You know, you, right. Tex Cobb would show up in it. I think this might be the first movie I ever saw Tex Cobb in. Yeah, I think so. I mean, right? I was just introducing him the other day to Joey. Here, I, I showed him the, the beginning of Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Right. And he goes, who's that guy? I'm like, oh, you're going to see him later on in life. I can't wait to show him Raising Arizona, dude, because he's going to be like, what? <laughs> yeah, good stuff. I saw Uncommon Valor in the theater and Ed. I remember just like being, wow, this is the guy that did First Blood. That's how I that's how I knew it. And you have to think, did Sylvester Stallone watch this? You know? Yeah. No, no, totally. And they're like, hey, hey. we can make, <laughs> this is, Rambo could do this. <laughs> right. 
I, I think we talked about it before. I think this movie did start it. I think this movie did bring all that stuff back because it probably jump-started Sly. And then, of course, everybody saw what he did. And then after that, you know. Yeah, it was a race, man. It was just like every other movie. David Carradine's doing one. Chuck <laughs> Norris is doing three. You know, Simultaneously. Uh, right. They're just shooting them all at once and cutting them into, you know, ah, just, we, oh, we have so much footage. Just cut them into three movies. It doesn't even matter. No. I mean, that was the start. But I think Uncommon Valor maybe is probably the best of those movies. I mean, Easily, honestly, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's like a real movie is less of a cartoon. I mean, I do have a certain fondness for the second Rambo just because I'll always remember his eyes opening and suddenly the mud monster comes out and yeah. shoots arrows. I mean, but uh, Uncommon Valor is probably, I, I saw it again before Rambo, you know, and it was a movie I watched with my dad, Hackman. And, uh, you know, my anything Hackman, man, we saw yeah. all these Gene Hackman movies when I was a kid. Anything that had Hackman, my dad was like, ah, we're going to watch this movie. It's called Under Fire. Yeah, you won't <laughs> understand half of it, but it's okay. It's Gene Hackman. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate well, it one day. And that one of the things I, I was found so fascinating about this, and this is my first time I ever really noticed. I discovered what a montage is from this when they're training in the beginning, when yeah. they're still in the States. This movie is so good. For me, anyway, being so young, I was, I think I wasn't quite 13 when I saw this. Or not quite 14, I'm sorry. I remember seeing this and going, wait, that's the guy from Airplane. I mean, I didn't right. know Robert Stackwell enough and other things. I was still young in my in my movie experiences. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's Rex Kramer. <laughs> Why is he so serious? <laughs> Why is he so serious, man? Um, also want to point out, too, that John Milius produced this. Yeah. And that to me is like, it's, that's, that's a huge thing too. And it's how the movie like this got made. It, you know, it's a guy like John Milius, whether he set down a, a gun at the. Yep. Totally. Right. By the way, I'm going to say it again. <laughs> I haven't said it in a while. Watch the Milius doc. Just do it. Yeah, man. Totally. It, it, you know, if, if you haven't seen it, you, you need to see it. And if you're not familiar with John, you need to get familiar with John's movies, his writing. I mean, I'm going to say there are 20 prominent filmmakers today that wouldn't exist without John Milius. No, I agree. You know, what's funny, dude, is Wings Hauser is credited with a story by... That's wild. Him and Joe Gayton. Joe Gayton, written by Wings Hauser, story by. This movie's so fun. And by the way, we, you pointed out earlier, you know, this is like the first thing you, that we both probably saw Tex Cobb in. We knew him as a boxer. Um, and Red Brown, you know, even though we know him as an actor, he, we knew he was, you know, we paid attention enough to football and, and local football and we knew who he was. And there's like three or four people in this movie that came from the sports world and before they went and got in front of a camera, which I think is kind of cool. And, oh, yeah. And Tim Thomerson, man. I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know how I could, Tim Thomerson is, uh, he plays charts. He's one of, you know, he's one of the team, yeah. um, you know, and. He was an actor who is familiar to people who listen to us probably mostly through transfers <laughs> and the Jack Death uh, role and, you know, things like Doll Man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, Thomerson is, uh, Thomerson's in a lot of stuff. I mean, he's just that guy. He's in a, he's in Near Dark. Yeah. He plays uh, Adrian Pazer's father. So, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a good fun flick. Yep. I never thought it would get a Blu-ray release. So there you go. And it, I think it, I think it lists at twelve ninety nine or eleven ninety nine. There you have it. James Horner score. James Horner, yeah. James Horner score. I mean, they put some Paramount put some money into it at the time. I mean, it, it was a, it was a, you know because First Blood had been a big hit for Kotcheff, and you know I think I want to say this was probably a, this, I think it was a summer release, right. late June. 
back when like six or seven movies would come out on one day, they didn't like, you know, nobody was afraid to like put their movie out on the same day <laughs> right. as, you know, another movie. It wasn't like we got four major releases, you know, we got 40 major releases every month in the eighties. That's why things are way better than they are now. Yes. Uh, also too, um, you made a note of the improved audio, not just improved audio, but they did a full five, one DTS mix on it, which yeah. again, this comes from them days of mono and that's, that's huge. Let's see. I'm looking forward to that part of it alone, especially a movie like this where, cause in the beginning of the movie, it's very heavy dialogue, obviously, but once they get to Laos, oof, oh yeah. Man, yeah. I'm hoping that this, they did a great job on the, on the sound because it really plays a big part in this movie and it shouldn't be overlooked. And I don't think we overlooked it. They took the time to do that kind of a mix for it. Looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, by the way, is it just me as Paramount's only one that's kind of like stepping up? And Warner Archive's always kind of been there, but Paramount's actually looking at their catalog and going, you know what? Let's take some time with some of this stuff. Let's put some of this stuff out there. Yeah. And that leads me to my last thing I want to throw out here. Paramount Home Media Distribution. They will be releasing on Blu-ray William Wyler's Roman Holiday. Oh, movie's so good. Which, right. Like, you know, and I know everybody knows what Roman Holiday is. And again, but it is it is a classic piece of cinema. It's not a, it's not an old movie. <laughs> it's, you know, it's every story you've ever seen, but they all come from this, this type of movie. The princess... Uh, who doesn't want to be a princess anymore. And she runs off and she has a time of her life with a reporter and a beatnik is basically what I'm going to say uh, about it. But I mean, it's a fantastic movie. I saw it in uh, film. The first time I saw it was in a film appreciation class when I was like 16 or 17. And I was like, man, what is this Roman holiday? Really? That's what we're going to watch tonight. I might skip it. And I didn't. And I'm so glad I didn't because it's, it's really, I, I love Gregory Peck. I love Eddie Albert. I love Audrey Hepburn. It's a movie that seeing it on a giant screen in a darkened theater with 75 other film students. Right. I mean, probably not a better way to see it unless I was alive in 1950 and on a date or something. <laughs> exactly. It's a 4K restoration. Uh, there's a new filmmaker's focus on it with Leonard Malton talking about Roman Holiday. Uh, there's a feature called Behind the Gates uh, about the costumes of... Roman Holiday, which are fantastic. Another feature, Rome with a Princess. Then there's a little bit on Audrey Hepburn, The Paramount Years. Dalton Trumbo, from A-List to Blacklist. I'm sure you're all familiar with Dalton Trumbo. If you're not, you should Google it and read about Dalton Trumbo. Uh, but Dalton Trumbo, I believe he ghost wrote. I don't think he has a credit. I think he's. I think he was blacklisted. I think he finally got his credit, like, I don't know, 92 or 93 but for 50 years, like he had no credit for this right. film <laughs> or any other film right. that he worked on for 50 years or 40 years. There's theatrical, there's a Paramount in the 50s, remembering Audrey Hepburn, theatrical trailers, photo galleries, production, the movie, publicity stills. There's a feature on the premiere. I mean, they really, really packed this. And you're right. Paramount is really taking their catalog. And if you look at the packaging for this, it's not unlike the thing that Universal did a few years ago with To Kill a Mockingbird, right. Blu-ray box. But, you know, you get an, you get an official uh, lobby card fold out with this. Which is awesome. This is a movie, you know, this is one of the movies I saw at an age where I started thinking, man, I want to work in film. Um, I had always loved movies, but like, you know, 17, 18, 
somewhere in there, I started thinking, man, yeah, I love, man, I would, how do, how do you do this? Man. And this is a movie that made me be like, wow, look, you get to go to freaking Rome. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, it's a, you know, it's something to definitely pick up. Uh, September 15th is the release date, but you can pre-order it now. And this is, and like you pointed out, um, this is a parent release, but more specifically, this is why it's getting the 4K uh, treatment that it's getting is that this is part of the Paramount Presents series, which we've been plugging the crap out of. Yep. And, you know, my air, copy of airplane came last week. Right. And it's so ridiculously great, dude. I was able to kind of A-B it for the HD stuff that's streaming online, online right now. And it is just, it is taken care of. They really did a great job on it. And it's so clean and, but still get the film grain. They didn't overdo the noise reduction or anything like that. But between this and Pretty in Pink, and now Roman Holiday, I'm like, and if there's something, I, it's kind of hard to see. You don't see it very clearly. But in the bottom right-hand corner of any of these Paramount re Presents releases is a little band on the bottom, and it notes the year that was released. Oh, wow. I didn't notice this until I got the copy of Airplane. Like, for instance, on the Roman Holiday, it has 1953 band, and of course, 1980 for Airplane. And then it made me get up to go look at the Pretty in Pink, and sure enough, there it was, 86. Yeah. Paramount, man, Paramount is really doing it right. And yes, you're probably paying a little bit more than even some of the boutique places, but they own the rights to it. And, and without them doing it, no one's going to do it. <laughs> right. And so, you know, you can order from Amazon <laughs> when it comes to these. <laughs> yeah, this one's fine. Don't worry about hurting the big man. Yeah, don't worry. You're not going to hurt Paramount. No. And it's $22.99 right now for the, the pre-order. But like I mentioned recently with um, some of these other titles like Airplane, airplane. When I pre-ordered it was twenty two ninety nine, and it dropped to seventeen ninety nine when it shipped. So, again, depends on what it is and and how well it's how easy it is to track down. Like Pretty in Pink, which is still selling for twenty eight dollars because it can't keep it in stock anywhere. I still can't right. believe that. I mean, I know it's a it's a it's a it's not the biggest release they put out in the series, and yet it's the one that they can't keep in stock. Maybe they're just underestimating the the. The demand so they didn't print up as many. Who knows? I don't right, know. man. I mean, look, you know, like we said before, there are a million teenage girls who still watch it to this day with yeah. their mothers or their maybe grandmothers. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's like a modern fairy tale for anyone who grew up, you know, who was of that age right. in 1986. Yeah. It's, it's funny, man. Like, uh, like I said, a friend of mine and all she can ever talk about is pretty in pink, man. She, her, she had a weird infatuation with Andrew McCarthy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, John Cryer, the whole thing, like all of it, you know, it's, it's the whole package. It's the movie, it's the music, it's the time, you know, it's, it's a movie that just, who, who's to say why people love it, but they do. Yeah. Yeah. I can't justify people's love for Breakfast Club, but whatever. And look, man, I like pretty in pink. I love I just pink. like some kind of wonderful more. It's just, a, it's just a, an improved, it's improved it's just a little version. Bit better. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> and it's not just because Ducky doesn't end up with the girl at the end. It's nothing to do with it. No, I mean it it's doesn't. there. I mean it has a part of the part of it to do with it. But and you hear more and more about how how it was really Molly Ringwall that didn't like John Cryer. <laughs> I would never end up with him. I'm like, girl, what are you talking about? Yeah, it was always shocking <laughs> to me how even though she ends up with Blaine. <laughs> He sounds like an appliance uh, that uh, people would still be excited. You know, that nobody, it's funny, man. I, I want to say maybe she was right. Cause I feel like nobody, I, I've never met a girl who said they would have ended up with Ducky. 
I don't know. It's like she agreed to do the movie the way it was. So why would you wait to the day of <laughs> and complain about it? No, Just, she waited. Yeah, probably until the, you know until they shot the end of the movie. Yeah, you know it's not going to work. Yeah. What? Who knows? Paramount, man. They're 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 pumping it out. Yep. Good Dig stuff. It. Totally. There you go. So if you want to follow us on social media, follow Corey on Twitter at Corey Culp or the official at Karate Pod on Letterboxd, which I'm finally updating right now. Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support us on Patreon, which would be super sweet of you, I can reach that at patreon.com slash KITG podcast. And if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Raven Shattuck on Twitter, Rock and Roll 33 on your Instagram, or at Tom Cody on Letterboxd. That's Tom, Tom. Cody. Cody.